Hey caffeinators, welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. of the Vet Tech Cafe, where we only close once a year, and that's usually just for our fantasy football draft night, but that might even only be for like two hours, so it's, it's not that we're closed all about two all hours long. this year. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'd like to thank all of you guys for uh, for your continued support. Um, if you haven't been to the website in a little bit, little bit, definitely visit vettechcafe.com. We've got some new merchandise up there. Dave's been working really hard on that. Um, we're using a new company that I think will help streamline the printing and the shipping and all of that. So definitely stop we by got there new and pictures. check it out. New pictures, yeah, new photos. So some cool stuff there. And I just want to give out give a shout out to our Patreons again. Thank you so much for the support. We really, really, really do appreciate it. Like and subscribe, you know, on all of our channels or, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd really appreciate that. And a review, five star preferable, but we're certainly not paying <laughs> for them. So if it's a one star, definitely leave it and let us know what we can do better. So um, anyway, we, we really appreciate the support. Dave, how's it going out there? If we need to pay for it, we will. Yes, for sure. For Th- sure. Things are good out here. Um, I'm getting ready to uh, ship out to IVEX in about a week, actually less than a week now. Working shifts. I actually worked my last shift that I'm going to be working until IVEX. I've got some on-call surgery shifts that are that are sc- scheduled for this week. But other than that, just getting ready for IVEX and uh, you know stressing last minute finishing up my powerpoints and all that stuff yeah um, but but things are going good out here how are you guys how are you guys doing out there uh we're good we're good you know we're we're how's how being back at work uh being back at work is good uh this was my first week back i really do like my new schedule of, of have back to getting to to four tens which i think a lot of us are are used to in our field or or mm-hmm. kind of more mm-hmm. of a little bit more of a structured schedule so that's really nice yeah otherwise you know just trying to figure out all that stuff and and otherwise things are going well so yeah i can't complain so what do you think should we go ahead and get started this is going to be a great Let's episode keep going yeah yeah I'm so we have a we have Leslie uh, Wurzak coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today, and Leslie is a credential has been a veterinary credential technician for over thirty years. After graduating from State University in New York uh, in Delhi in 1989, uh, she joined the University of Tennessee College of Veterinary Medicine, uh, where she is now their director of emergency and critical care. She enjoys teaching veterinary and veterinary technician students in the clinical labor- and laboratory settings. She's a frequent speaker at national and regional conferences, as well as veterinary technician programs as a guest lecturer. Uh, She's a passionate advocate for the veterinary technician profession and is involved both with her state technician association and NAVTA, and then also serves on the advisory board for the VNI, the Veterinary Nurse Initiative, 
as well as being a member at large, uh, like you now, Dave, uh, on the Avectin board. So uh, super cool. She's a Recover CPR certified instructor, um, serves as the vice chair of the Tennessee State Board of Veterinary Medical Examiners. And then in addition to her veterinary technician degree, she holds a BS in business management and an MS in management and leadership. Leslie, thank you so much for taking some time out and coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today. What can we get you for a cup of coffee? Well, in preparation for this, I actually went over to our pod at, at work and got myself a tall cafe mocha. Nice, there you go. nice, nice. All right. Um, you know, if you would, I, I mentioned points there in your bio, but take us through your career path. What got you into veterinary medicine? I know you've been at uh, UT for quite some time, but I'm sure kind of some different things along the way. So take us through all that. Sure, sure. So actually, I started working at a veterinary clinic back in high school, my sophomore year of high school. And that's how it all started with, uh, this is all my friend Chris Lennox's fault. She came up to me in the hallway <laughs> in high school and she said, hey, um, do you want to potentially work in the clinic that I work at? And um, I said, sure. You know, I was such an animal lover at the time and still am, obviously. So I, I went to work at this, um, it was a mixed animal practice, primarily small animals where I worked and did that all through high school and loved it, you know, loved every minute of it. And then, you know, kind of after high school, I really did not know what I wanted to be. When I grew up, uh, I had dabbled in, I want to be a social studies teacher. I want to be an English teacher. I want to do this. I want to do that. Because I, I just really thought that the only path that you could take in veterinary medicine was to be a veterinarian. And I did know that I didn't really want to, I mean, I kind of thought I might want to be a veterinarian because that was the only thing I thought that you could be. But I wanted more of a challenge of what I was doing at the time in a, in a high school capacity. And I, I went to community college. I had changed my majors two or three times. And I worked at a different veterinary practice then, um, another mixed animal practice, but primarily dairy practice. And I also worked at a, an MD's office, a, a doctor's office, filing charts, answering the phone, doing that kind of stuff. And and I also was milking cows at a, at a dairy farm. <laughs> I loved that job. It was one of my favorite jobs ever. And um, so, uh, but I, I still just kind of hadn't figured it out yet. I hadn't figured out life. I mean, my family had gone through a real uh, a time of turmoil and my parents had getting a divorce. And I just, there was just a lot of turmoil in my life back then. And so this MD that I worked for called me into his office and and he said, you know, um, I just wanted to let you know that come fall, this was in the spring, he said, you know, come fall, you're not going to have a job here anymore. And I was just like, why? I mean, I thought I was doing a great job. I always showed up for work. I was doing all the right things. And he said, I'm sorry, but you don't want to work for jerks like me the rest of your life. You have too much potential and you got to go, you got to go to college. You got to go figure it out. Wow. And at the time I thought it was just like a horrible thing that he was being a jerk to me. And, you know, I just <laughs> thought it was awful. And it, it was just, it was a godsend really, you know, it, it just was what I needed. And the veterinarian that I was working for at the time, Dr. Jim Hayes, he, he said to me, he said, why don't you go to vet tech school? And I was like, I didn't even know there was a vet tech school. It was, there wasn't such a thing. Well, there was. And so I um, investigated going to the SUNY Delhi program and went, and I know the first day of class that I sat in my first anatomy lecture, and I, I knew right then and there I was in the right place, and I had the best time and the best education. So, I, I mean, I ended up at Tennessee kind of also by mistake because I wanted to work... <laughs> 
<laughs> I wanted to work in large animal. It was going to be equine, period. Like there, I that was what I was going to do. That was the plan, you know, the plan. And it was going to be equine. I did my externship after, uh, between the summer before graduation, I did my externship at Cornell in uh, equine surgery and loved it. Oh my gosh, I just loved the academic setting. I learned so much. It was an incredible experience. And so I knew I really wanted to, to work in an academic setting. And I lived in New York. So I thought, well, I'd, I'd like to work in, at Cornell. And I applied there. Prior to that, one of my professors knew I wanted to work at Cornell. And he knew I was coming to Tennessee to visit some friends who had retired down here. And he said, why don't you go? This is Dr. Melvin Chambliss, who he said, why don't you go to Tennessee and interview for their, their have a small animal ICU position open. And I said, well, I don't want to, I don't want to work in small animal ICU. There's no way. And he said, no, I know, but it would be a good practice situation for you for a practice interview in an academic setting. So go do that. And pretty much you did what Dr. Chambliss told you to do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I did. And I practice interviewed. And Cornell also was able to offer me a position, but they had a hiring freeze. The state had a hiring freeze at that. So they said, I don't know whether we're going to be able to offer you a job in a week, a month, a year. We have no idea. Um, you know, this was back in 1989. And so Tennessee called and offered me the job. And so I, I came to Tennessee with intent to stay about a year. You know, I said, well, I can do anything for a year, you know, and that was 32 years ago. <laughs> wow. Um, I had, yeah, I mean, it's like I had, I did leave for some time and there was some time in that I left full-time employment, rode some horses for a living. Then I, I had my kids and, um, as you are finding out, your life is never the same. Yes, yes. Only and four the, months in and already figuring yeah. that out. So just how you think that things are going to just kind of continue on the same. And my children started getting older. I, I came back to work full time and and the rest has been history. And so, yeah, it's it's been a it's been a great it has been a great run. It really has. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so now you're still you're still in academia. Is that correct? I am. Yep, I still am. And how how do you see like kind of going off script here, Jeff? How how do you see the education role for veterinary technicians has changed from when you first started to now? Well, I think when I first started, technicians were not as involved, as deeply immersed in the DVM education mm-hmm. as we are now. We are really, really a, a, just an integral part of DVM education, specifically in the clinic, in the clinical year. Not as clearly not as much the first, second, and third year, but that clinical year, technicians are teaching the students their skills. Not as much, of course, pathophysiology, but a little bit. You know, you you dabble in it, but you know, in the emergency critical care setting, you know, there's one criticalist and one critical care resident, and they just cannot be spread as as thin as they need to be. And so, on, in a specific ECC uh, perspective, we are very involved in in educating the students on how to do treatments, how to do nursing care. Because let's be clear, you know, you are still going to provide nursing care, even though you are a DVM. I mean, you're, you're going to have to understand aspects of that and you're, you have to provide some training for your staff as well. So I've seen the responsibilities of the clinicians on clinics to have expanded to such an incredible role that the technicians really have had to step in and provide that ancillary support to them as well. So what I did back in 1991 or 92 when I was here is very different from what Mm -hmm. what the technicians are expected to do now. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was curious about that too, because I mean, I was only at, at Tufts for four years and after having been in practice for so long it, and, but never really teaching students or interns or residents or, you know, never really having that relationship. And then all of a sudden it's just really a part of the job description. I, I was always, where is the line for me there, except for the students, obviously, but you know, as the interns and residents, they're the doctors, you know, I, I, I certainly don't want to overstep my bounds or kind of where does that, that line fill. And that was a really, really interesting dynamic for me. And that was actually kind of a big hurdle for me starting in academia is where, where do I actually fit in here? Because I, I honestly, I wasn't quite sure. I still wonder, you know, I'm sure it varies a little bit institution by institution, but how it's ingrained into the students, our role, or, or as they prepare for clinics, are they, you know, prepared to be quote unquote taught by us or, or helped out by us or what have you? Because I think so much of setting veterinarians up for the future starts in that clinical year and how to function in a hospital and be part of a team and know everybody's roles and all that. And at least in, in my short experience, I didn't I didn't really feel like that was well laid out at all. And I'm curious how you find that. I, I agree wholeheartedly and I believe strongly that 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 uh, the definition of roles and and what our job is versus the doctor role should be part of the DVM curriculum. We should be teaching this to our DVM students so that when they because we do teach them in the clinical year, but they're they're trying to navigate so many different things their clinical year that I don't think they really truly recognize what contribution we're making. And then when they graduate and they go off into clinic and into private practice or wherever they land, they may or may not have credentialed technicians that are working with them and supporting them. And so I think that technician utilization should be part of what we're teaching veterinary students in the clinical setting. And it should be indoctrinated in them from first year, second year, third year. This should be something that, that, that they learn all along so that when they go into practice, it's, it's normal. And I I think in human medicine, that is just an expectation. Like an MD is not thinking that they're going to go out and practice medicine, drawing blood and taking radiographs and doing all the things that we do well. And it's not even a thing in human medicine, but it is a real thing in, in veterinary medicine. And I hear that so often when veterinary technicians apply for jobs and they talk, they ask, you know, how, how are my skills going to be utilized? And I'm like, oh, you are utilized here. Believe me, you, you, you sometimes you wish I, okay, I, I believe you. <laughs> if I could be utilized a little less, that would be great. That's not the case everywhere. We need to do a better job. We, we need to come a long way um, with technician utilization. And I think it starts with teaching veterinary students. What can you expect a veterinary technician to do for you and then tie that into their business model. So they recognize that this is going to generate revenue for you in the long run. And this is going to make you a better practitioner. It's going to elevate your medicine by having credential technicians do what we're trained to do. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder, like, again, I've, I've never worked in academia and you, and you, you both have, but I wonder if, you know, it wouldn't have to be a full semester, obviously, because I don't, I don't know that there's, there's a full semester's worth of, of, of work in there, but I wonder if there was like, you could have like a, like a once a week seminar on, this is what a veterinary technician is. This is what a very veterinary technician can do. And even have like VTSs like yourself go in and say, this is what I can do as a VTS. This is how I can help you out. I wonder if that's something that's even 
offered or is that something we could add into the curriculum to just give them an idea of of what we can do you know before they get into that clinical setting of saying oh there's there's people here oh these are technicians oh this is going to be great but i wonder if there's a way to like prep them for that and say here's everything that you could have and also you know like you said there are going to be instances where these these students these doctors go out into the field and they don't have credential technicians and how to manage that and how to navigate that that pathway of how do I utilize these people that are supposed to be helping me and realizing the different levels from down from on the job trained assistants to certified veterinary technicians to VTSs. Is that something that's even offered? I don't think it's offered. Uh, I think it's mentioned, but I don't um, just last week I, I was helping in a in communication training with the students and and in the actual module it, it, I was reading and it and it said you know this the situation was the student had been working as a technician in a hospital over the over the summer and I said all right time out guys because I want to I really don't want to respond to this mm-hmm. and I and I did I in a very respectful manner I just said I just want to point out that in the state of Tennessee we do have title protection. And a veterinary technician is someone who's graduated from an AVMA accredited program, has passed the VTNE, and has a license to practice in the state of Tennessee. And so I want to, you know, and and some some people, and they didn't, they were very respectful and receptive to that. They they really were. But some people, you almost get the feeling that people think you're being arrogant by advocating for your profession. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't feel that. I used to feel a little bit, you know, self-conscious when I did it. I don't anymore. And, but I, and I'm, I'm happy to, that's education. That is what we are yeah. in the business of doing in academia. It's education. It's part of the education. But I, I have done a couple of uh, talks to students at the club level. So whether, you know, whatever clubs they have, they have a lot of different really amazing clubs. And I've been asked to come to clubs and talk about technician utilization and things like that. I think a great model is, and of course, you can't do this at every university, but I'd like to see if students that graduate from DVM programs who have parallel veterinary technician programs like Michigan State and Purdue and Mississippi State, and I, I'm, I may be forgetting others, but I wish University of Tennessee, I hope University of Tennessee someday will have a technician program. But I do wonder if when uh, DVM students and technician students learn together in a clinical setting in a more intense manner, uh, that maybe the utilization issue is a little bit better for those graduates. I don't know. It'd be an interesting thing to look mm, at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. for sure, for sure. And and you brought it up too. Uh, you know, it was it was always a difficult spot for me too because the same thing at Tufts for the the summer student externs or what have you. They were referred to as student techs, and several times kind of explained you know the differences and such. But honestly, if that doesn't come from the top down, you know, in the curriculum from administration, what have you, I, I honestly just felt like I was spitting in the wind and just eventually kind of dropped it because it was like just having to repeat it every two or three weeks as a new group came through. And, yeah. and it's just, it's, it's tough because it's, I get it. It doesn't really matter, but it matters to us and it should matter. And it's, it's, well, it does. And I will say that here at UT, there is strong administrative support for this. And, and um, there great. is a differentiation in, in titles and between veterinary assistants and veterinary technicians and in, in the hospital setting. And so I, I will say that we do have strong support from that, but it, for some reason, there is just decay of memory once students leave here yeah. and, and remember how it was in their clinical year. So sure. we need to get better at that. 
for sure. You know, something we always like to ask our, our guests here, you know, the veterinary technician profession, you know, we've we've been talking about this for the last 20 minutes or so now. Where do you see our profession? Uh, are there things that we need to fix? Are there things that are going great that we need to keep doing? As somebody that works in academia, I'm sure you have a, a unique take on that. Um, so where do you where do you see us right now? Well, I, I'll be honest with you. You know, these some of the issues that we're talking about right now are the same issues that I was talking about back in 1990 when I started. And I'm a little <laughs> disappointed that we aren't further along in the process. Yeah. However, I share everyone's uh, feeling that, okay, we are a profession in crisis right now. Like we are in deep trouble. We are a septic abdomen in VTAC. <laughs> and we're from to lidocaine. And, you know, you're pulling up the man. Like we're in, we're in big doo-doo. However, it's exciting because through that, we're going to change where it is happening. It is, it is happening. And I think a lot of that is COVID related. You know, I, I hate this virus. I hate what it's done to the entire universe, but there are some things that are going to come out of this that are going to be positive. And I think that uh, change is, is there's that COVID has been a little bit of a catalyst for change in our profession and many other professions as well. And so I think the the biggest thing is veterinary technicians that have been forced to work for not a living wage and have struggled and worked three jobs and have been miserable at their jobs have felt empowered to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just not going to do it. And they don't. And and so practices are going, uh oh, because if it was, you know, it was a little bit of a trickle of people leaving at first. And then all of a sudden, everybody felt like, you know, life's too short. I'm not going to do this. I'm miserable. And they left. And now people are re- recognizing that this profession has to change if it's going to survive. And, and we've got a lot of great people working on that. I like to be optimistic. I like for my caffeine to be half full <laughs> and we're heading in the right direction. I really do. But boy, it's slow going. It really, yeah, it really is. For sure. Uh, so kind of thinking about working in academia, we have veterinary students we have interns, we have residents, we have faculty. There's a lot of people on the veterinarian side of a lot of different levels of education, of experience, of all of that. And one thing we've really been trying to, to kind of focus in on somewhat is, is the veterinary technician and DVM relationship. And I, I know there, there was a couple of students that I worked with while they were students. They were actually classmates of my wife's. And then they stayed at Tufts and did an internship. And then they stayed on for a residency. That's It's pretty rare. Most of them go out at least for the internship and come back for a residency. But it was really unique in those cases to see the growth. But there was also like a little bit of a different dynamic between me as the technician and them from a student to an intern to a resident and and then, you know, all the way to faculty. And I, I'd, like, I'd like your thoughts on those relationships, because sometimes you, you have them as students. Sometimes you only have them their internship year. Sometimes you have them for residency. Do, do you find there's a, a difference between those levels in, a, in your relationship with them? Does it does it change? Does it grow? How, how do you see some of that stuff? Oh, sure. It definitely changes and it grows and those transformations, I find them just incredible to watch. I love to see the I love to see the transformation from a, a third year veterinary student coming into clinics and, and their fourth year, just the difference. And I tell them in my orientation, remember how you feel right now, today, this day. Remember how 
terrified you are, how uncertain you are, and you are going to be, you aren't even going to be the same person in another year. And that same transformation, then it's up a notch for the interns when they come in. And you, when you think about that, when, you know, literally they're one day, they're a veterinary student <laughs> and the next day, you're adopted. And, you know, I, level of responsibility that's got to be just terrifying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And maybe if it's not terrifying, then maybe those are the ones you need to be worried about. <laughs> right, more. right, right. And they come in for their internships and they are terrified. You know, they have a tremendous amount of responsibility and decision making and lives literally depend on on their decisions and their thought process and their ability to come up with a diagnosis and a treatment plan. And then they, they have that year of their internship, which that transformation is, is incredible. But then from the resident perspective, when they've done an internship, now they're a resident and they do a three-year intern, or I'm sorry, a three-year residency. That's incredible. It's just the transformation is, is enormous. But you get to watch that as a veterinary technician in academia, and it's a really fun process. But yes, the relationship is a little bit different. So your level of guidance, it changes. And I, I don't, I hesitate to say level of respect because I feel like you should have that level of respect regardless of what, whether they're an intern or a resident or what have you. But it, the, the dynamic definitely changes. And if you're lucky enough to, to be a technician that works with interns and residents, hopefully their dynamic with you changes. They get to trust you more. If you mm -hmm. work with a resident for three years and, and you click, that's just an incredible relationship that develops. And you know what they want before they even know what they want. And you're ready for that. And you can make suggestions in a way that isn't perceived as being judgy or right. that you're questioning their ability. or And it's more of a team collaborative effort and that just elevates the medicine, period. You know, you, that's better medicine for that particular patient. That's just fun. I mean, yeah. that's one of the best aspects of being in, in academia, really. Completely agree. And it's it's so it's it's hard to. And, and, you know, for those of you that haven't worked in academia, it's not unlike whether you are new going into a clinic or, or a new hire comes to your clinic where you don't know them. They don't know you. They don't know the flow. They don't know your level of knowledge. Sure, you might have done this for 25 years and be a VTS. Again, we've we've kind of already established through this conversation. They don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. They, don't, they know don't know that they don't know that they can that literally they can just give us this septic abdomen and we basically know what to do with it and, and we're we're gonna have things ready and already be implementing things before they've even thought of it. And until you kind of start to gain that trust and, and I think that's really one thing that I think I see a lot of technicians do is they kind of forget to walk before they want to run. And, yep. and it's, and, and there, there is. And so just like with your coworkers, or if you go to a new hospital or a new veterinarian comes to your practice, it takes time to build that relationship. And as they start out as students and become interns or residents, like, like you're saying that builds, that grows, but that's how we have to foster this relationship to, to work together just because we have a credential as a technician or a VTS, like a, there are still way too many veterinarians and veterinary students that don't know what that means. Absolutely. And we, we can't just 
rest on these credentials because frankly, they mean nothing to them. We know what a DVM means. We know they've gone to vet school and they've graduated and they're now veterinarians, but it's a two-way street that we have to be a little bit more patient and really work to build this relationship, I think. I think that's, that's what you have to do. You have to be patient and don't force yourself on them and don't have that, don't be defensive when- Right. They want they they are a little hesitant to trust you a hundred percent because ultimately it is their license it is their it is their liability if right. so you have to learn to trust them and that goes with anything you, you know it, it's it's like choosing a babysitter Jeff you know what I mean like you're 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 really skeptical until the first few times when you then learn to trust this person and then you would entrust them implicitly but it takes a long time. To to do that. And you have to allow the process. I think when technicians, when you start to feel really, really confident in your own capabilities and abilities, you're not as uh, anxious to have that happen as fast as you want it. You know, it's not going to happen on the first day. No veterinarian is going to trust you implicitly on the first day that they meet you with a relationship. And and I think that you just got to let that process happen and it'll, that will also build a long-term relationship better. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I'd honestly be a little bit skeptical if they did give me that that level of trust, like right out the gate, you know, like, like, um, well, I mean, maybe you're used to utilizing technicians and you have some RBTs and so you're, you're, you're set up for that, but, but don't you, don't you want to see me do a couple of things first? Maybe not. I don't know, but, but yeah, it's, it, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Exactly. Just to add in my two cents on this whole thing is, is that you, you guys know the difference between a 10 year CVT, RVT, LVT, and someone who's just past the VTNE, there's a vast difference in what they're capable of handling of and their skill level. Granted, they've all been through the, the the schooling, they've all been through the the rigorous process, but that that level of being able to take that septic abdomen first year first first day out of it out of vet tech school, I'm I'm not giving it to them. Um, but people like us, yeah, even though we're on quote unquote the same playing field in terms of credentials, you know, taking the VTS part out of it, but CVTs, RVTs, LVTs, we'd be on the same level playing field. And I, I get why sometimes that that trust has to be built up because because the doctors don't really know. There's there's not really a, a information yeah. of like, oh, I've been in the field for 20 years. They, they kind of have to right. take things from a slow perspective because it is that level of this is my license. If I give this to somebody that doesn't yeah. fully know what they're doing yet, that, that reflects back poorly yeah. on them. Yeah. yeah. I tell a lot of new employees too, is that, you know, we have such a change in personnel mm-hmm. all the time with new residents and new interns coming in. And it depends on where you're hired in the year, whether or not, you know, you could be hired in two weeks before the new intern class and the new resident class, but they come in here and I always say, you know, you've got blue scrubs on. And so they're going to assume you mm-hmm. know what you're doing. So just don't be ever afraid to say, I don't, right. I'm sorry, I don't know, or I don't feel comfortable doing that, but I'll find somebody who can help me or, you know, because they're going to just assume that your attack is attack is attack. And that is not necessarily the case. And yeah. um, I think that it's okay to say, I don't know, you know, I mean, and I think as you age, I, I know you guys will agree with me as you age, it doesn't bother you anymore to go, you know, I don't know, but I'll find yeah. out for you, you yeah, know, exactly. or something like that. I'll look it up, you know, whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't hit your ego. Like it does when you're younger and you want to prove yourself so bad. Well, and I, I think as yeah, we get absolutely. to the age that we are, we, we don't feel like we have a whole lot left to prove. It, you you either accept us or you don't. And if not, we'll move on. <laughs> Precisely. Precisely. Uh, before we get too much further into all this, we're burning through a lot of these questions. Uh, why don't we take our, our little ad break here and we'll be back right after the break. 
The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online that's more affordable than traditional in-person therapy and financial aid is available. Caffeinators receive 10% off the first month using BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, to join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Don't take our word for it. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily at betterhelp.com reviews. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash reviews. If you want to take charge of your mental health, visit betterhelp.com slash vettechcafe and get started today and get 10% off your first month. Be well, caffeinators. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, where a good dad joke will get your free scone. Just ask Jeff or Dave. <laughs> if we haven't heard it before, you get two free scones. How about that? Um, yeah, yeah, we'll make it happen. So, so Leslie, uh, one one thing we always like to ask after our ad for better help um, is how do you manage your mental health, uh, realizing that not many of us last as long as the three of us have lasted in this field uh, without some challenges. So how do, you, how do you manage your mental health day to day? I mean, definitely there have been times where I almost haven't <laughs> lasted. You know, I'm just going to be honest. It has, you, there's been many times where I've thought about stepping away. Um, I did step away, actually, and was here for seven years. And, and as I mentioned at the beginning, I I did step down. I was went to part-time and did some horses for a while and, and was able to ride at a level that I wouldn't have been able to ride at any other time in my life when you're young and crazy and don't realize that horses can kill you. Um, but <laughs> but I, I, I was really burned out at that time. I was burned out on, on veterinary medicine at the time and, and, but still loved it. You know, it was like, it's like, I really got mad at my relationship with, with veterinary medicine, but I still loved it. You know what I mean? And yes. so um, I, I stayed part-time for, and worked a lot of PRN shifts. And, but after I had my kids, you're just different and you're a different person and your perspective is different. You don't have necessarily the time anymore to immerse yourself in at least I didn't want to, in a hundred percent energy towards veterinary medicine. It was about my, it was about my family now. So my perspective was I was able to come and do a very good job when I'm here. And when I go home, I do a really good job being a mom and a wife and doing those things that are more important to me than veterinary medicine. Whatever it is, you have to reach that realization at some point in your life and and unfortunately, what happens to a lot of people is they leave the profession and they, they just decide I'm, I'm done with this. And I have been so close several times, too. And I and I, I hate that about our profession. And when I go to teach at, at veterinary technician programs, I talk to these students about that. And I say, you know, when you, you will contemplate leaving at some point in your career and it, it's going to happen sooner than than you think it's going to happen. And if that does happen to you, please reach within yourself and try to remember what it was that set your pants on fire about being a veterinary technician and try to get back there somehow, whatever it takes. Maybe you're in the wrong practice, 
Uh, maybe you're in the wrong specialty, maybe whatever. There's so many different avenues too. you know, mm-hmm. when, when I went to tech school, there was really only one thing that you could do. You went to, into practice or yeah. you went into academia. And now there's just so many other things that you can do. So if you're miserable, it really is your responsibility to get unmiserable. <laughs> like nobody's <laughs> going to do it for you. Um, people will help you it, it, certainly, but it is your responsibility to say, I'm going to fix this. I'm going, I'm going to take the steps to try to fix this. And so, you know, my career has not been fabulous and rainbows all the time, but when I've had a low spot, I've, I've always tried to remember what is it that set my world on fire about this. After 32 years, I still like to come mm-hmm. to work every day. And there's very few people who can say that, you know, not every day. Sure. <laughs> but most <laughs> And it, it has taken me, you know, some jumping up and down and screaming and trying to get changes and saying, you know, I can't do this anymore kind of thing. And that's if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. But it still fills my soul. I'm I'm able to retire right now. I'm I, I'm choosing not to. I'm choosing to stay for for a while longer, because I, I as most days when I'm driving in, I'm I'm okay with coming to work. When you were talking about burnout, and every time somebody talks about burnout, I, I think about the times that I was burned out. And for me personally, I don't I don't think I ever got burned out on the profession, but I got burned out on the practice I was in. Do you feel like that's the case or do you feel like it's uh, all encompassing? I do. And I think that a lot of especially young technicians think, well, you know, they know the people. Let, let's face it. When we when we work in a veterinary setting and practice settings, you get to really know the people that mm-hmm. you're working with, you know. And so it's almost like a, a, either I think some people think they're either embarrassed or self-conscious or whatever it is of just being honest and saying, mm-hmm. I need a change, you know. And I think sometimes in practice situations, they make that person feel terrible, like, you know, that they're they're it's like a cheating relationship or something like that. But people grow and change. And you think about how you're not even remotely the same person that you were 30 years ago. And so if if the practice doesn't meet your needs as a professional, and I think that's what we need to drive home to these technicians, that you're a medical professional. And if you were a nurse, an RN, and and the hospital that you worked at or the vet or, or sorry the medical practice you worked with wasn't what was fulfilling your needs you'd move you'd go somewhere else you wouldn't necessarily leave the the profession maybe you would but for the most part you wouldn't and so i don't think you're not cheating on your friends you're not cheating on your relationship with them it's just you have different needs now you've grown and it doesn't mean that's not a great practice it just means that you are different and your needs are different and it may be time to move to a different situation. Maybe you were in academia at a, at, a, at a high level and you need to go to a less intense level a situation. Maybe you are you are maxed out at your practice and you feel like I'm not being utilized. And, and I say that to students, to technician students, if you're the one that's holding all the time, if you're the one that is not, if you're not drawing the blood, if you're not doing all of the things that you were trained to do in tech school and you're frustrated, you are mm-hmm. in the wrong practice. Yeah. Don't leave the profession, the practice. There are so many practices out there who really want good technicians. And our options are endless right now as technicians. You know, academia is finding that out. It used to be that I, when I posted a job position for something in ECC or anywhere in, in academia, I'd have 20 applicants for each one position. And I mm-hmm. have crickets now. 
because there's so many other options out there. Yeah. And academia has been slow to morph into the times. And because that's just the nature of academia, you know, they, yeah. they move at a snail's pace, but they're getting the message now that, you know, you can't wait to have wages come up. You cannot wait because you know what? Specialty practices are offering way more money and they are offering comparable benefits and um, a much better work-life balance. So you better get on the stick or you're mm-hmm. not going to have applicants. And that's what we're finding right now. So, and it's not just, yeah, absolutely. It's not just I mean, we actually have a, we're very proud of our, our uh, longevity of our technicians here, but there's a lot of academic institutions that are struggling to find technicians and um, mm-hmm. we've got to wake up and smell the coffee yeah, because, for sure. uh, or smell the mocha. There's lots of options out there. For sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned longevity, you mentioned retirement, you mentioned a, a few things in there, benefits and work-life balance, a, a lot of things that I think for a lot of veterinary technicians in clinical practice, those are things that maybe aren't even necessarily on their radar. I remember when I started out as a young technician, actually, I remember the first hospital I was at, I remember when they actually started offering health insurance and that was a big deal to to finally get health insurance. But at some point during my career, and I don't even know when it happened, probably after I got my BTS or something, but I more or less topped out of the pay scale. But all of a sudden, somewhere along the way, other benefits started becoming more important, better health insurance, offering life insurance, retirement, things of that sort. And there was a lot of that that I didn't really appreciate until I got to Tufts. There was a lot of benefits along those lines that academia offered that private practices just weren't. They have the academic calendar. They have you know more sick time than I'd ever seen before. And I, I was hopeful that corporate practices like with all the resources they have, that would kind of become the norm. They would push the envelope into making things better for for technicians outside of pay. And I just, I feel like that's not happening, but I feel like more and more and more, that's what technicians are looking for is, is it's like, they, they kind of know, like, yes, we all want better pay, but they, they know we're, we're kind of stuck. We're all of a sudden not just going to double everybody's pay out of nowhere. Can you imagine? But I think there's a lot of, <laughs> right, no kidding. But I think they could actually make up a lot of the gap with better benefits benefits and and actually contribute to longevity in the field and and I'm curious if if you've ever thought about you know where you're at at UT because I, I remember the same thing at Tufts there was more than a handful of technicians that had been there for 20 25 years or more and I was blown away by that because while I had been in the field that long certainly had never been in a practice that long but I I grew to understand why and I think there's a lot of hospitals that could actually start to foster that if they improve, not, yes, pay would be great, but improve some of those other areas, it could really lead to longevity. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And all of those components are are very important contributing factors, but you also have to have a, a positive culture in your practice too. Sure. And, and, oh, yes. And, and, and I think that arguably one of the most important factors, and, you know, I know that there's this negative connotation about feeling like, you, you know, we're family and, and, and there's been this negative spin about that. Like, well, I don't want to be a family with my work, my work family, my work, my work family is, I don't want to work family. I want to go to work. I want to do my work and I want to go home to my family. Well, I, 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 I want to just respectfully disagree with that. I really care deeply for the people that I work with. And, and I care, I care so, so for some of the people that I work with, they are family. I can't put it any other way other than I have just strong bonds with these people. And and that's what, and that's special when you have that in a practice situation. 
And I, I think that kind of culture definitely contributes to people wanting to stay there and that that type of allegiance for people to, to want to go above and beyond. And I don't think it's wrong to go above and beyond. I think that that's, a, that's an okay thing to do because if that feeds your soul, that makes you feel good about yourself and the job that you're doing, that's that's okay. I think we're we're trying to teach people a little bit that you know going above and beyond they should you shouldn't ever ask to be to do that. Well, I I disagree. Maybe I'm just a little bit too old fashioned with that, but I I don't know. I think you can do both. I don't think it has to be either or. I don't think the pendulum has to swing as far as it swings so often when you are addressing an issue in in this profession. I think that you can reach a middle ground and we can we can just re- reach that middle ground and solve these problems. I, I do agree with what you're saying there the 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 family aspect and I I think recently in in the profession that that quote unquote were treated like family has has gotten a bad connotation of of that you're going to be treated poorly but i think it it, de- it depends highly on where you work and the people that you're working with for example the the people that i work with in new hampshire for 10 years i still consider them family like without a doubt like i i could i could show i could show up in new hampshire and fit right in again without any any hesitation and and love that but i've worked at other practices where you know even though i've been there for a couple of years does it feel like family not not really and i I, th- I think a lot of that is based on where you work and, and the people you're working with and if like you said with that positive culture if if everyone has a positive culture and you enjoy working with those people you are going to have that family feel to it you know just saying we're families doesn't make us a family you have to like no that doesn't no actions speak way louder so many members of my work family you know if i the trials and tribulations that go, go you go through mm-hmm. in your everyday life you know it's it's them that are calling yeah. to check on you my boss yeah. will call and she, you know Dana will call how are you feeling you know uh, they're there for you when you have surgery and bringing you a casserole <laughs> and making sure that your family's fed and all those kinds of things that that's special you know, you, you, that is yeah, a great yeah. place to work. I think it's important. I'm, I'm not going to apologize for my work. Family <laughs> exactly. Because they are family. I, I totally agree. <laughs> totally agree. <laughs> for sure. For sure. You know, we talked about the curriculum a little while ago and we talked about, could we integrate in, in a, whether there was like a business course or hospital management kind of course or, or what have you, how we could integrate staff roles and and all of those different things. I'm curious though, you know, in your time in academia, because I I know I have something in my mind for this. Is there one thing you would change either about their education or what they're required to do or learn on clinics for them? Um, I think that we're doing a better job in DVM curriculums to make their their lives better, okay, by by not expecting them to work 18-hour days for their entire fourth clinical year. You know, veterinarians did it for years and years and years, and it was horrible, okay, just because we did it for 20 years or 50 years or whatever doesn't mean you have to you know, keep hitting your thumb with the same hammer, you know, you just don't need to do that. But again, that pendulum swing, I do I do feel like sometimes they may not recognize that veterinary medicine is a hard profession. It's really, really hard. And sometimes you're really going to be tired for days on end. And you have to be able to have the resilience to manage that. Things are going to die often. And sometimes you have an onslaught of horribly sad cases with horribly sad circumstances. And they seem to pile all up together. 
and it's a horrible emotional train wreck. And you have to be able to manage that. I think we have to teach resilience a little bit more, not just for veterinarians, for veterinary technicians as well, because sometimes as great as this profession can be, it can just be horrible. And it can be horrible for long stretches of time. There are times when you think, I can't euthanize one more thing. I just can't do it. And then if you have great colleagues, they step up and say, I'll do it because you need a break. But I, I just think we, we really need to teach more, we, more resilience and we need to be upfront with veterinary students and veterinary technician students before they even get into these programs that we need to tell them the truth about how <laughs> rotten it can be sometimes. It's really mm-hmm. rotten sometimes. Let's be honest with one another. But then, you know, this morning as I'm walking in, there's this adorable Boykin Spaniel puppy, you know, that's just adorable. So you get those infusions of cuteness every once in a while and it, it take it carries you a little bit. But I, I when you are twenty something and you have this idealistic expectation of what it's going to be like to be a veterinarian or a veterinary technician, I think we have to be more honest with the the, the really bummer aspects of this profession, because there's a lot of it. There's it's just, as we all say, you know, this is just not all puppies and kittens. Right. <laughs> but even those bummer times, those times that are really, really hard, we have to teach people how that can mm-hmm. feed your soul as well. Because you still help that client, you still help that animal, you still help the situation in some way, even if it ended up that the animal was euthanized in the end. And I think if you can kind of compartmentalize things that way, it helps your mental health because otherwise this is a tough profession. It really, really is very, very hard. I, I, I remember when my daughter, she actually had West Nile virus Ooh. and it was really horrible. And she was in, in, in children's hospital and, and the nurses, when they found out that what I did, they were like, oh my gosh, I could never do that. I could never work at the vet school. I could never work in critical care. And these are RNs that work in children's hospital where they see children <laughs> with childhood cancer and horrible and incurable diseases. They're telling me that they couldn't do my job. And yeah. I'm thinking, oh my gosh. I couldn't do my job, you know, so it's all perspective. I think people realize when you go into go to medical school or go to nursing school, you it's, you probably have a pretty good idea that you're going to mm-hmm. deal with dying people. It, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I think that we we need to make sure that we're sending the correct message. This is the best profession ever. And it has really hard days a lot. And there's our quote. <laughs> um, so you are also on the advisory board for the VNI, the Veterinary Nurse Initiative. Any updates on that? Where where do we stand right now? I know this sometimes is a controversial topic in our profession. So kind of give us give us an update uh, as to where we are. Well, with- I mean, I don't think we should shy away from controversy. You know what I mean? That, yeah. There's been some great discussions on both sides of this issue. And I respect, I have a lot of colleagues on the other opposite side of the issue and mm-hmm. I respect their opinion and, and um, that I'm not going to change mine <laughs> <laughs> because I think, I think it's important. I mean, one of the, the things that I say over and over again is that I'm not trying to be a nurse. Okay, a nurse, an RN, a registered nurse is an RN. It's human medicine. I want to be a registered veterinary nurse. And I think that we can make that distinction very, very clearly. Uh, Just as a veterinarian is a doctor, an MD is a doctor, 
a PhD is a doctor, a dentist is a doctor, a psychiatrist is a doctor, like all of those different doctors that we have in our lives, the differentiation is very easy to decipher. And I think it would be very easy for us to decipher between a registered veterinary nurse with the word veterinary right in the in the title versus registered nurse. Titles matter. And the very term nurse implies education. It's just a it's an implied that if you if you're an RN, it's implied education. And I we do not have that in our title. And um, I think you've you've read my editorial in the VNI, my my um, piece about that. And I list several professions. And again, they're professions that clearly that they're they're important professions, but at the technical level, they do not require an education like ours. And so if you if you take an RN curriculum and you take a veterinary technician curriculum and you put them side by side, there's very few differences mm-hmm. except for species, of course. And so people don't realize that a veterinary technician, at least in my state, and, and that's the other whole, we could talk about that, you know, is, is <laughs> we, need unified, we need a unified title. And I believe that that should be a registered veterinary nurse because it would clear it up. It would clear up that ambiguity of uh, LVT, RVT, CVT, and then of Tennessee, we're the only LVMTs because why? I don't know. <laughs> I'm on the board and I don't even know why. I think that would clear, clear that up. And then we we have our veterinary assistants because, as you know, in so many practices, every support staff is a technician. It doesn't matter whether you're on the job trained, whether you have uh, your college degree in veterinary technology. It doesn't matter whether you have a license. A tech is a tech is a tech. I had a veterinarian actually say to me, I'm quoting him, and he when I was arguing my point about the veterinary nurse initiative, and he said, "I have the boy that I take on my farm calls." I call him a technician. What difference does it make? And I said, sir, you have illustrated mm-hmm. the point right there. And so I just feel that we, a unified title and with the term nurse in the title will imply education. And then we go from there. But I think we're also, it, the issue then becomes the argument. And the issue isn't the argument. The issue is we need to unify together and get this solved. And we need to have, veteran, this is a veterinarian problem as much as it is a veterinary technician problem. And until veterinarians recognize that titles matter and that they honor that in their practices and call a veterinary technician a veterinary technician who is credentialed, versus a veterinary assistant. I'm not making any disparaging comments about veterinary assistants. They're an integral part of every practice, but there are levels, just as there's levels between a veterinary student to an intern, to a resident, to faculty member. Like we talked about those layers. They, They exist in every other profession. They exist in the nursing profession. They exist everywhere else. And I, it's time and it's just time to, to, that we do this. And we, in doing so, we will elevate the profession to where it needs to be. It's a, it's a really interesting point you made in there about an MD, a medical doctor on the human side and a DVM, a doctor of mm-hmm. veterinary medicine. They're still both called mm-hmm. doctor, but there is a distinguishing word veterinary. And it actually could be the same registered nurse, registered veterinary nurse with a distinguishing Word. I've never really made that association or thought about that before, but they're both doctors. We can both be nurses mm-hmm. with a distinguishing word. To, to your point, I guess I've said it time and time again on this podcast, I'm, I'm very pro-VNI. I, I, I 
to me, that's a parallel that's that's undeniable. Yeah, it, it really is. Can do it on the doctor side. Why can't they do it on ours? Absolutely. I mean, we we and and there's there's an argument. You know, well, well, some technicians say, well, I do more than an RN. Well, I don't subscribe to that way of thinking because I have such respect oh, yeah. for the RN profession. I don't want to see that we're better that we're more that we aren't, sure. and we were we're a parallel profession. I I feel like that's. That's really going down a path we don't need to go down. But I think when you have a title of registered veterinary nurse, that explains to the pet owning public what we do without mm-hmm. explanation. There's no explanation. Mm-hmm. It says what we are. As a technician, you know, I there's so many different technicians in out in the world, HVAC technicians, you know, the, that type of their essential, essential personnel. However, it is not necessarily a college degree. And so I think so many people don't understand that at least in my state where there is title protection, if I'm a veterinary technician, mm-hmm. I have a college degree. And I can't tell you the number of times that people have said, oh, you went to school for that? Oh, Yeah. You know, yeah. it's uh, yeah. not to not to be sexist, but it's it, to you two guys. But it's like it's time that we're not the girls in the back anymore. Yeah. Like it's just that mentality. has. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's away. fair. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. And there are still the technicians are, or the support staff are still referred to in that way in some practices. And it that just has to stop. It has to stop. And I think yeah. if veterinarians could say, oh, if I adopt this way of thinking, and I'm really, really uh, conscious of, of people's titles and credentials. It elevates my level of medicine. It just does. And promote that. Yeah. Let your let your clientele know that you employ LVTs, RVTs, CVTs. It does, do 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 I mean that everybody working in the practice has to be credentialed? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just saying that all support staff should not be lumped into one global title mm-hmm. of technician. I think we, yeah. we really need to work on that. We need to start there. So as we're going beyond our hour here, uh, is there anything that we haven't touched on today that you wanted to get out to our listeners? I know we've covered a lot today. <laughs> yeah, we've covered a lot. I, I, just, my, I, I think too is that is to say to everybody that's listening, you know, ask yourself, are you a member of your local veterinary association? Are you a member of your state association? Are you a member of NAFTA? Because if these issues matter to you as a profession, then join these organizations. And they really are, are your voice. Your voice will be heard through these, through these organizations if you're if you complain that your state association isn't active get active in it and start spark something be active in this profession regardless of where you stand on the issues but if they're important to you be the change that you want to see in this profession let your voice be heard in a professional and positive manner that's how we we catalyst how we're catalysts with change that's what you you need to do for sure is there a person um, you would like us to interview on the Vet Tech Cafe or a topic that you would like to hear an episode about that maybe we haven't covered in the past or that we could revisit again? I think all your topics are fantastic because they just kind of, you know, <laughs> poke the bear a little bit on things. And I think that's great. We, just, we need bear. to poke more. Keep poking the bear. I would love to, to hear from Megan Brashear because she is such an advocate mm. for veterinary technicians and um, she's such a positive speaker. She she's just amazing. You know, I I interviewed a a technician for a job and I was talking to her and she said, do you know Megan Brashear? I want to be just like (laughs) her when I grow up. And I was like, you know, 
yeah, yeah for sure have megan on for sure. And awesome. now, Leslie, we are down to your would you rather question. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Would you rather teach a subject you don't understand or teach a skill you're not good at? I think I'd like to teach a subject I don't know anything about because then it would give me an opportunity to research it and learn about it. When I was teaching uh, anatomy and physiology, chapter two of the book was chemistry. And I was like, I don't think a C plus chemistry student should be teaching chemistry to anybody. But it, I mean, it forced <laughs> me to like read that chapter over and over and over again until I actually understood what it was talking about. But yeah, I, I would much rather teach. I, I think I would rather teach a skill that I don't that I'm not good at because I can I can talk my way through the the protocol and talk my way hmm. through the skill than I can answering questions about a subject I just don't understand like chemistry. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. That's a that's a fair point. I, I think I would, I feel like I could probably talk better about something I mm -hmm. don't understand and just use big words and fake it till you make it more than I could if I was trying to teach somebody how to draw blood and I didn't know how to do it. Like I, yeah, I feel like that would just go miserably. <laughs> like I, I feel like I could, I could teach a new grad how to do a spay, but I've never done it. Sure. Hmm. Right. Interesting. 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 Good point. That's my Good take point. on it. Good point. <laughs> I love it. Well, caffeinators, um, we're about out of time here, so we'll wrap up. But thank you again very much for for coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today. Leslie, thank you so much for your time and yes, coming thank you. to chat with us. We, we really appreciate the time and, and love the discussion. Um, I, I think the, the idea of veterinary education and veterinary technician education and skills and where those overlap is a big thing we, we really need to investigate a little bit further. So I, I really do appreciate the discussion. And uh, Caffeinators, we'll talk to you guys again soon. Thanks so much for having me. You're very welcome. You bye bye. Bye guys. Bye. Hello, Caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators. We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.